Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Jordan and I are spending a lot of time and energy preparing these days. Some of this preparation is very tangible. We've spent months reading books about everything from what to expect when you're expecting to how to get babies to sleep. We did a home renovation we've been waiting to do for 11 years, and we finally consolidated our guest bedroom and home office in order to make a nursery for Roscoe. We even canceled Jordan's birthday plans in order to schedule birthing classes at the hospital. Sorry. (laughs) And at the same time, we're working to prepare our lives and our hearts to welcome a new baby. We've gone from talking about a baby as a hypothetical to a baby as actual. We've gone from calling the baby it to he to Roscoe, and we may have some actual names floating around in our conversations at home. We've talked about how to restructure our finances, the trips we'll put off until later, the way our lives will change once the baby gets here. Our lives are all about preparation this season. But John the Baptist's whole life was about preparation. As we hear from Matthew the Evangelist today, in those days John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John is also preparing for the coming of a baby. Well, an adult by this time. And this is the way John prepares the way of the Lord and makes his path straight. He is working to prepare God's people for the coming of Christ by washing away their sins and creating in them a new heart, a heart that Jesus will inhabit. Now, John's baptism is different from the baptism that is to come and the baptism that we are baptized into. His baptism is one just of repentance, just of wiping the slate clean. In our baptism, we too turn away from a life of sin. Our slate is wiped clean. And then we are reborn to a new life in Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit and marked as Christ's own forever. In John's baptism, just the first half of that is happening. As John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Christ and the Holy Spirit have not yet made their appearance. Folks are being washed clean. They are dying to a life of sin. But John is merely preparing the way for Jesus. We receive both baptisms these days, the baptism of repentance and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. But we do not believe that repentance is a one and done kind of event. 
We believe that our sanctification, our process of being washed clean, of being made holy, is an ongoing journey. This is why at our baptism we are asked, will you persevere in resisting evil? And whenever you fall into sin, repent and return to the Lord. Notice, it is not if you fall into sin. It is a whenever. All of us will fall into sin. All of us will need to repent again. This is the kind of preparation we do during the season of Advent. Sin is a word we don't like to talk about in the Episcopal Church. But we cannot truly appreciate the grace of God that comes through the death and resurrection of Christ unless we talk first about the stain of sin. And we cannot recognize from which behaviors we need to repent if we do not have a working definition of sin. Sin is a thought or action that damages our relationship with God and or with our neighbor. It is more than missing the mark. It is intentionally or unintentionally straying from the path on our journey with God. When preparing for a confession, I often point folks to examine their lives from the list of the seven cardinal or deadly sins that have become part of Christian tradition. Pride, greed, wrath, envy, lust, gluttony, and sloth. While this is a helpful starting point, our sins are not limited to just these. Anytime we seek to do our will above God's, we are committing sin. Now, these sins are what we consider to be personal sins. We, as individuals, commit these sins throughout our lives and to varying degrees. But there's another kind of sin that we often feel the effects of, but do not think about in terms of sin. Institutionalized or systemic sin is the behavior that causes a rift in the relationship between our society and God. This is the sin of exploitation. This is the sin of racism. This is the sin of misogyny. It's the sin of mass incarceration. It's the sin of homelessness. These are sins that aren't committed by one individual. All of us commit these sins just by the nature of being part of the society and age in which we live. When you look back at the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, these are the sins they are so often preaching about. The first step toward repentance is identifying our sins. But pride will keep us from admitting that we have ever fallen into sin in the first place. Pride will tell us we really aren't doing that bad, that we really aren't much better than that guy in the pew in front of us, that we can't be held responsible for the sin of our culture, that we really aren't like those people who are dirty, dirty sinners. Pride is a liar. We are all sinners, whether they be personal sins or institutional sins. But God loves us anyway. And God hasn't met a sin he won't forgive. There is no behavior, no action or emotion that you cannot bring before God and lay at his feet. There is no evil he has not seen already in the human heart. But we must ask 
for his forgiveness. This is how we prepare a place for Jesus in our hearts. Advent is the time to confess those sins to God and to be reconciled to him. In the Episcopal Church, we can do that in one of two ways. We pause before the general confession in the liturgy so that you can recall all those things you need to bring before God. Call them to mind and then pray each word of the prayer found on page 360 with intention. Listen to the words of absolution pronounced after your confession and physically feel that burden lift off of your heart. Every week, you get the opportunity to confess those sins, known and unknown to God, and to be reconciled to him. Sometimes, though, we have burdens weighing on our soul that we can't quite give up. We carry them around, and they take up the room Jesus would otherwise occupy in our hearts. In order to make room for Christ, we must dump this baggage. And if that is the case for you, this is the time for private confession, the service we call the reconciliation of a penitent. I will ask you to prepare your confession before the service, and we will discuss your sin in detail. Private confession is, of course, not a requirement in the Episcopal Church. However, sometimes the hardest part of reconciliation is to allow ourselves to be forgiven. It can be necessary for us to feel that we have fully poured out our sins for God and to be assured of his forgiveness. But for us to make room for Jesus in our hearts, we have to dump this baggage that we are carrying around with us. God loves you wildly, offensively, unconditionally. God loves you no matter how broken or damaged you are. God loves you despite the sins you have committed or the evils you may have carried out in this life. No sin is beyond his forgiveness. So what are you waiting for? This Advent, examine your life. Ask for forgiveness and let yourself be forgiven. Do the hard work to prepare the way of the Lord and make straight the Lord's path into your heart. Amen.